Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. This podcast is designed to help open your awareness to the truth of who you are, a limitless being. You are worthy and deserving of an abundant and prosperous life. It's time to peel back the false beliefs and live the life you dream about. For additional resources or to contact me directly, please visit my website, heatherhakes.com. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 421. In today's podcast interview, my guest is sharing with you the power you have to heal yourself. You are going to learn all about trapped emotion and trauma and how to let go. Welcome to today's interview. I brought on Dr. Gabe Roberts. Dr. Gabe, welcome. Thank you, Heather. I am stoked to be here. Thank you for having me on. Please give listeners a little background. Where do you live and what do you do? Okay. I currently live in Northwest Arkansas. Um, and are you, can you hear me? Okay. Okay. I live in Northwest Arkansas right now, um, in Centerton near Bentonville. And for the last nearly decade, I've practiced functional medicine, um, helping people with chronic illnesses, everything from Lyme disease to multiple sclerosis. And throughout that time, um, I found that, and, and even doing all this, I did a lot of energy work. I did a lot of quantum integration, um, a lot of emotional clearing. Um, and I found that even these techniques that I thought were really cutting edge were still um, treating symptoms. They were still treating external, um, they were still treating the external presenting problems that the patients came in with. And once I started diving deeper, I found that most of them were carrying memories, bad memories, traumatic memories, um, memories of overwhelm, memories of when they felt hurt, neglected, um, something like that. And these were the biggest contributor to why they had the chronic illness in the first place and why the supplements and why the cleanses and why all the detoxing and all the other things um, produce short-term results. So I started studying memories, going into trauma a little bit more, and now I'm hundred percent virtual and success rate's been phenomenal compared to anything I ever witnessed in functional medicine. Well, I think this is so valid, especially today, but for anyone listening, this is going to be a complete paradigm shift because we've been programmed and conditioned to believe in Western medicine. We need a pill. We need an injection. The health and wellness industry is a billion, if not trillion dollar industry. So we are programmed and conditioned to believe in this external thing to fix an internal issue. So you're going to tell me that that's all false. Pardon the interruption. If this content is resonating with you, please be sure to leave a five-star review. I want to offer you some additional resources. Visit my website, heatherhakes.com, and sign up for my free video training on how to reprogram your subconscious mind. Again, visit my website, heatherhakes.com. I've also created a self-study course all about mindset and manifesting. You can find this on my website, heatherhakes.com forward slash course. Finally, if you are ready to deep dive and really transform your life, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. 
I will help you create clarity and a roadmap so you can live the life you dream about. Best part? Everything I teach, you can start implementing right now. To learn more and schedule your free discovery call, visit heatherhakes.com forward slash coaching. Now, back to regular programming. I'm going to tell you that Western medicine shines in the case of uh, physical trauma, car accidents, uh, chainsaw accidents, um, uh, you know, as graphic as a picture you might get in your mind, uh, that's not the thing for the acupuncturist or the homeopathic um, practitioner. That's something for Western medicine and where they will shine. Um, my own experience as an EMT, I worked in the hospital for three years. They do shine when it comes to physical, um, immediate, acute, accidental type injuries. When it comes to chronic injuries, um, they're, they're completely out of um, touch because what they're working on is still a physical, uh, they're working on an outside answer. And oftentimes the chronic ailments, uh, more often than not, have repressed emotions involved, repressed emotions that have been um, from something usually in their childhood years. And Western medicine is very um, emotional um, like biased, the most they'll say is a person is stressed out. This guy's coming to me, he's stressed out. And the, if you come to him again, they're going to say you're stressed out and you're depressed. So here's an antidepressant, not even, not even really understanding why the depression's there because we're, we're biologically not designed to be depressed and stressed out and things like that. Yeah. And, and today's society, um, all too often with the amount of trauma that's intertwined in our, in our culture, in our history, in our family lines, accepted and not even fully recognized, uh, it's no reason why so many people have very difficulty healing. And, and Western medicine, uh, I know of several doctors that are, that are trained in Western medicine when I talk to them about healing, it's a completely foreign subject to them. They might have heard healing one time in their medical schools and their, in their education. And that might have to do with like wound healing, not healing internally. So, well, and I honestly, I asked that tongue in cheek because I full heartedly believe in this. I, I believe in the power of the mind and we have, you know, Western med is very symptomatic. They want a bandaid rather than deal with the root cause, which is, I think what you really touch on. And I'd love to learn more about, um, I first learned about this from Louise Hay. So I call her the OG, you know, and she has this book, you can heal your life. And at the back of it is a glossary of, it can be skin issues, autoimmune, chronic disease, knee pain, foot pain, it doesn't matter. And it all relates back to an emotion. And I mean, I go back to her book and let's say you have pain in your knee. It's like the fear of, taking a step forward in life. And so anyway, I've become so aware of, oh, it's trapped emotion. What is this pain? What is my body telling me? Right. Uh, she's fantastic. I've used her as a reference. And, and, and that oftentimes is more often the case of what happens is we have an emotional event take place. Um, it gets stuck somewhere in the body in a particular area. And when that emotion gets stuck, it starts to block energy flow, also known as chi. And when energy flow gets block, uh, blocked, or substance starts to get resisted. 
and Chinese medicine says where qi, where there's qi stagnation, there's blood stagnation. So what happens is you have an emotion, it gets trapped there or a repressed emotion, it blocks qi, it starts to block blood, then it becomes a palpable area, tension, tightness, discomfort. And that can show up as anywhere in any organ, um, just depending on where that gets stuck in the body. Like you mentioned a knee with the fear of stepping forward, a liver of issues of anger, kidneys in the areas of worry, um, anywhere, anywhere there's a TMJ, which is the jaw, uh, neck or upper shoulders is going to be repressed anger. And so whenever we have these repressed emotions, they're literally going to block, um, substance from going through. And over time that starts to form tension, lesions, um, all forms of different types of illnesses. Okay. I'm going to ask you a personal question. So years ago, I don't even know how many at this point, it was several years ago, snowboarding. I, I had a nasty fall and quote dislocated my shoulder. And so I've had popping and cracking and discomfort in my shoulder for years. And I can sit here and feel, I have to consciously let go of distress, let go of tension. Cause I know I hold it up like this. But you're also saying that that's all symptomatic of a repressed emotion, right? I'm holding it in this area of my body, right? I'll tell you what, that can be the cause. Um, another cause of this is your body has a, a tremendous capacity to capture memory, especially from injuries. So if this isn't a repressed emotion, it's a memory. And there's not one physical injury. I don't care if it's a a dislocated shoulder or a broken leg, um, uh, you know, a trip and fall hitting your head on the ground. Every one of those has an emotional component to it, but it also stores a memory. So mm. what I found as a, as a chiropractor um, is that if someone injures and, in, you know, something, let's say a low back and a golf swing, uh, what happens is your unconscious mind, and that's mathematically 99.994% of who you are. It's your unconscious. It's the non-physical side of yourself. Um, it has a prime directive to protect you. It has no ability to understand what the CNS is doing. It, it, they talk completely different languages, so it doesn't use words. When you injure yourself, that unconscious mind goes to work to try to protect you. And what often it'll do is it'll put a memory in place of where that injury happened. And that's a stored holographic memory in that area. And it's to remind you not to injure it again. So it might not have anything to do with an emotion, but, but we can store memory anywhere we were injured. And as a chiropractor, say somebody hurts their back with a golf swing and they are literally limping off the, the, the green, they, go to an orthopedic or they go to a chiropractor, you know, he puts them on some tens units and adjusts them for a couple of weeks to get the disc and, you know, under control. Uh, and after eight weeks, that tissue is healed. Okay. The, the ligaments, the tendons, the muscle, all that, even if there's nerve damage after eight weeks, that's fully healed. But yet what you'll find are some people when they go out to do that golf swing again, when they go to a certain position, their back locks up, they have an ache, and they just don't do it. That's no longer a physical injury. That is an unconscious safeguard through a memory saying, hey, you've hurt me before. You've caused injury here. 
I'm keeping this memory here in place to keep you from doing that same thing again. And that could be the cause of your dislocated shoulder. If it's not emotion, if you, if you're taking care of yourself emotional wise and you're, and you're, you know, very aware of your emotional triggers and things like that, it could be a memory based, um, reoccurring injury as well. So it's something you do in your practice to help people release these memories and to, uh, you know, if we have repressed emotion to allow it to go. Uh, yes. What we do is psychosomatic medicine okay. and we help people with any kind of mystery illnesses or, or various types of autoimmune. Um, usually the people that come to me have seen an average of 12 doctors. They're doing everything right. And we go in and find the repressed emotions very quickly, very gently um, help resolve that memory of where that happened. So about 98% of my clients that come to me um, whenever they come to me and it could be, uh, chronic, chronic digestive problems, chronic pain, um, migraines that just don't stop, uh, paralyzed limb. And we go to dialogue with their unconscious, what I call let the boss do the talking 98% of the time, it goes back to something that happens zero to six years old, an emotional need, not met a fear, um, a moment of overwhelm. And memories are very powerful. It's a state of consciousness frozen where everything that happened in that moment is intact and it's stored somewhere in the body. And through my studies of, of I'm considered a master hypnotherapist, uh, all these different practices I've studied, um, they, what I found is whether it's body code, emotional code, hypnotherapy, all these different various um, practices out there they don't approach memories in the way they need to I'm not saying people don't get resolved, but I'm saying more often than not, when it comes to trauma, there is still something there. It gets re-triggered later on. And what we've done is found that missing piece. We found why, and we find exactly what the problem is. It's a holographic three-dimensional memory that has encoded into it safety lessons. Like I was just telling you about with the case of the shoulder. And we find that millisecond of overwhelm when it first happened, because every trauma, whether it's as a former Marine, I can tell you whether it's a trauma on a battlefield or it's a trauma, a child faces with a bully on a playground, or it's a trauma of seeing your parents argue in a living room when you're three years old, or if it's even being left in a room alone, just a little too long. Um, you know, mom had a very important phone call and she ran there to answer it. And you're in the bedroom and you're overwhelmed. You're afraid. Where'd mom go? You know, and you're two years old, that could be a trauma. So yeah. what we think of traumas aren't necessarily always violence and battlefields. It certainly can be, but it's all data in that moment. It's all recorded the same way in that exact moment. Our conscious mind splits in two. When we're overwhelmed, the conscious mind splits in two. And we can recall times in our life when this has happened. Have you ever had a near uh, car accident? Someone barely hit you uh, or, or, or barely missed you rather. Um, and everything goes in slow motion for a while. You get a very disturbing phone call and you just feel yourself busy and everything goes in slow motion for just a moment. 
you actually just paused consciousness. It's mm -hmm. split in two. Part of it goes back to normal everyday life where you're taking care of your family, uh, you're feeding the dog, managing the real estate, whatever it might be. The other part of you, when that pause happened, was formed in a container. And it did that because it was becoming so high in neurological arousal before it hits what's called threshold. This would be the maximum our nervous system can handle before we blow a fuse, okay? If we blow a fuse, game over, we're dead, right? If a nervous system can only handle so much, just like a circuit breaker in a house can only handle so much. But before it gets to that level, we have a protective mechanism that kicks in and walls it off. It, it keeps it from hitting that, that threshold. So it walls it off protects to protect us and stores everything going on in that moment in this three-dimensional container. So when people are traumatized, oftentimes they'll say, I, I, you know, I'm broken. I, I don't, I, my body doesn't heal. I have to remind them your body is functioning perfectly. You're alive today because it did exactly what it's supposed to do. The problem is, is as you mentioned, our Western medicine doesn't recognize this. And we don't live in a culture that lets us uh, go back and release those things appropriately. Um, we have a vast amount of therapies out there in the world today that are accepted and widely distributed that work with emotional regression. Uh, I'm sorry, emotional management. And this is emotional repression. So we're pushing stuff down further mm -hmm. instead of actually going back and releasing it correctly. And what's fascinating is we talked about block chi, we talked about repressed emotions. Each one of these memories, these emotions of overwhelm have an energetic signature within them and they're all unique. They're no two are the same. Even if um, you were in the same car accident together, your emotions could be different than the person's next to you. How that container is walled off is as unique as a fingerprint. Um, and each one of those has a specific energy within it. The more we, for any energy within that container, it requires an equal amount, if not greater amount of energy to keep it repressed. Mm -hmm. So when we do that through life, we have all these emotions building up in our body and we don't even know it. We're not even aware of it, but they get more and more and more experiences and they just build up more and more. It actually requires more energy to keep those repressed. And that's where um, over time, our vital force gets drained. Our abilities for our cell matrix to maintain its integrity gets lost. And this is where we see cases like people that keep getting parasites, people, people that um, have chronic viral issues or people that have chronic Lyme and someone else in the same household, maybe a sibling or, or even a spouse that has the same Lyme, you know, it's, it's a STD. So I've seen spouses before where uh, the husband is just totally fine from it, goes hunting all the time, has more tick bites than you could imagine, but the wife is crippled from the same thing. How come it's not affecting him? She represses a lot more. She has a lot more emotional. This is something very common with women. They have a lot more on their plate but they're repressing things, they're keeping things in, they're not expressing themselves. And over time, keeping all those emotions bottled in um, makes them much more vulnerable to 
you know, outside influences of infections and things like that. So I have two initial questions. One is when somebody comes to you with this chronic pain, chronic illness, how many sessions with you does it take to pinpoint the repressed emotion and to release it before they, they feel a difference? Um, every person feels a difference in the first session. In the very first session, um, that we go right to the identity. The, I'm sorry, the identification. So the very first time they come to me, um, we go right to work and we find uh, a very powerful hologram, usually in childhood. And they'll feel a difference then uh, within one appointment. It just depends on how chronic and how long, how many emotions we have to um, go through and dig up. And that's where we have level one and level two. Most people that come in are level two. Um, level two means they've had a pattern, you know, traumatic childhood, um, a father that's been incarcerated or, uh, you know, domestic violence. They grew up in that or they grew up in a home where they were just never accepted, never loved. And it takes a little bit more to go in and clear out the patterns of emotions there versus a level one is a one-time car accident. Somebody that had a, a great life, doing fine, no problems, slept great. And let's say they witnessed September 11. And now they have nightmares and they're fearful all the time. That's a level one. It takes very little time to clear that because it's one, one memory. It, I can do that in one appointment. And I like to have a follow-up appointment to make sure that it's resolved for them. Um, level twos, it can depend. Usually six weeks is kind of the average. And I see people weekly. Um, I had a woman who had severe panic attacks, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, couldn't even leave her house. And it took me five weeks to get it to where she could do anything, go to the store or go to the mall and have no panic attacks. Um, why? Because there was a huge amount of childhood abuse, things like that. Um, and the one that really made a huge difference in her was she was on vacation with her mom, you know, I, when we go right to the source of why you can't leave the house, there's a feeling behind that a feeling that has everything to do with why you're panicked, why you don't feel the world safe, why you can't leave the house. And then I have her, uh, there's nine or nine to 12 questions. I have her specific go ans ask and go with her very first impression. She'll feel like it made up. It's not going to make logical sense. You'll want to edit it. It's going to be the very first thing that pops up that that's what we're going to go to. And next thing I know, she's four years old and she's with her mom on vacation and she's screaming in the car. And her mom says, you do that one more time and I'm going to drop you off. They go around the corner and she screams again. Mom stops, takes her out of the car, leaves her on the street, drives off, turns around and comes back, gets her, picks her up right away. You know, doesn't leave her out there for very long, but to a child who's four, whose mirror neurons are just voracious, who can't, you know, who cannot get enough data. There's an unsatisfiable amount of data that a child that age can absorb. Plus they take everything personal. Everything that happens to them, they think if I happen, if this happened to me, I must be a very bad person. And when you, when a child experiences that, it forever gives them a feeling of shame affects how they feel about themselves. It affects how they feel about the world. And we, so we go in 
cancel out all those frequencies and that one memory of that overwhelm, mm -hmm. reframe it completely, meet the emotional needs that were not there. And after that, she was able to leave the house and not feel threatened to her unconscious mind. It was still unsafe. You know, uh, another case is a, a guy who seven years old, uh, I'm, he, when he came to me, he was 40, couldn't drive over a bridge anymore. Could, couldn't drive over a bridge. Anytime I come to the bridge, it'd stop and he'd just panic. And we asked him the same thing. Because the only source that knows is in a lab test, not a questionnaire. And it's certainly not him and it's certainly not me. So what I do is I just help them dialogue with that part of themselves to bring it out. Um, he was seven years old, out in his yard playing. He was told not to climb on the ladder on the side of the house. He did anyway. He climbed up the ladder, somehow fell. He's hanging from the roof. <laughs> he lets go, gets the wind knocked out of him. You know, within like 10 minutes, he's playing again. But that fear of heights and that fear of getting in trouble set in to where he would go through life. And anytime he'd do something with height that had to do with height, he'd get this feeling. But because he was older and the context of that ladder in that house was gone, he'd never associate it. He'd never say, well, it had to do with that, you know, and areas mid 40s. And that had built up so much that he drives and he can't even go over a bridge anymore. So again, most of the issues that people have, they're never going to be able to consciously pinpoint because that part of our mind is, is so far back. And the part that we think with consciously works like a bottle rocket. It has one direction linear and the unconscious part is almost like a complex grapevine. You know, it's a big, vast vine going in and out of a chain link fence with big clusters. And that part of us that's very powerful, that's recorded everything that's ever happened to us in utero, even ancestral, doesn't use words. So it's, it uses an entirely different alphabet uh, that, is, that is new. Something else that came to mind while you were sharing all of that in the last, I don't know how many years, it's become very mainstream about all these gut issues and food allergies. And I know consciously it's all bullshit. And I've experienced gluten intolerance. And I know that there is something much deeper and underlying than, right? That's not normal. So do you have, is there some sort of commonality or generic reasoning that there's so many gut and food allergies? Well, I think there's, I think there's a combination of those. Um, one of them is of course, trauma. The fact that, that the fact that, you know, we're in a society that's so stressed out that if you're stressed out whatsoever, uh, we go into memories 15 to 50 times an hour. We're constantly reliving old memories. And when an old memory that was perhaps chaotic or troublesome, maybe an argument, something, you know, um, traumatic or overwhelmed comes up to our surface, our nervous system doesn't know the difference between the memory of the event or the actual event itself. So we're instantly in fight or flight constantly through the day if our memories are chaotic. And when that's the case, healing from things uh, you know, mindfulness and, and taking the right supplements isn't going to help. 
another additionally, since the mid-90s, we have introduced genetically modified organisms in this country. And with that, we went from using mild little, little bits of uh, Roundup um, to our driveways and stuff like that to 350 million pounds a year since the mid-90s. That's enough per every person in the United States to give them a pound of it per year. And the terrifying thing about Roundup is the active ingredient glyphosate is a water-soluble antibiotic. It's a water-soluble antimicrobial. It has like seven patents on it for uh, antimicrobials, no patents on it for a weed killer, which is fascinating. But it's water-soluble. And that's very, very, very different because now it's basically uh, limitless in where it can go. I've seen estimates of 75% of our rain is traced with it. So when we have this amount of um, Roundup, this glyphosate interacting with us, uh, you know, constantly being exposed to it, um, and it's an antibiotic, it's also a mineral chelator. So it will, it will prevent people from using things like magnesium and zinc, very critical for stomach acid. If we don't, and our food is already depleted. Since the 1930s, the Senate has recognized that our food, a person cannot get enough food to satisfy their nutritional needs. Um, on top of that, about 98% of our vitamins, our supplements today that we use in doctor's offices are synthetic. There are no more food than chemicals, uh, so our body doesn't really recognize them. So when we have a tremendous amount of de depleted food, minerals that are gone that we need, and we have exposure to things that actually trap and prevent us from using these minerals, zinc is necessary for stomach acid. So when that goes on, uh, and kids are exposed to Roundup when they eat cereal, when they eat crackers, you know, if they're playing out in the rain, most of the time, even drinking tap water, um, you're going to, you're going to further deplete their crucial minerals even more. Mm -hmm. And if they can't make stomach acid, they can't fight allergies. They don't have that barrier of protection to, um, prevent further stealth infections from moving in. So that's what I think is a big contributor to um, people's gut issues is, is not only environmental influences, but also the fact that, um, that people are in such high state of fight or flight and they're, they're extremely stressed out about things that might have nothing to do with their current life. They might have a great life. Um, I've got a number of people that come to me and they have fantastic lives on the surface, um, doing what they like to do, enjoying themselves, but they just cannot relax. They're high strung. They're extremely high anxiety. And it's again, memory based. So I think it's super important to highlight there. And I've heard this time and time again, that this, that stress is the number one cause of all disease and ailments in our society today. And that when we're living in these high beta brainwave states, this flight or fight mode day in and day out, we don't have, then our body can't function correctly. Right. So okay. rather, yeah, rather than get a quick fix, a pill or something to band-aid it, 
take the time to understand, okay, I need to get out of stress mode. So mindfulness practices, right? Meditation and nature and different breath work. There's so many techniques, but Mm -hmm. to get out of stress mode, to become more aware of our emotions and triggers and understand that when we heal within our external changes. For certain. Uh, And there's, when you heal within and you go back and you can actually start to heal some of these traumas and really heal them, understand them and realize your memories aren't you. Your Mm. memories are just recordings. They're just imperfect recordings that, that, um, are very convincing that they are you when you realize that it's not your fault what happened. Um, and you didn't consent, you didn't get permission, you didn't even allow it. It just happened. And, you know, uh, to realize your memories aren't you and the things that happened to you aren't going on right now, they're over. Um, that's very important. When you can really start to grasp that and, and, fully heal your traumas, you get into a higher conscious state of being. You access a greater bandwidth of this cosmic internet where the quantum field is, where infinite possibilities and probabilities exist, where there's infinite healing that would go well beyond what I would say doctors of Western medicine and doctors of functional medicine uh, fully even grasp. Um, I've seen it myself in over 3,500 peer-reviewed published journals on people having spontaneous healings from everything from stage four cancer Mm -hmm. to from HIV negative to HIV positive or HIV positive to HIV negative rather um, chronic incurable things and it's not just here it's across the globe as well Uh, fascinating story I was talking to this with a client about the other day Um, there's a hospital in India where there was a ward filled with paralyzed people. Um, some of them had been paralyzed for 12 years. And a large cobra comes to the window. A massive cobra comes crawling to the window. Within 30 seconds, the snake was the only occupant in that ward. What happened? I mean, really what happened in that? The fear of that snake seized their mind, all of their mind all of their non-physical mind that they didn't even know was there. And that grasped them so deeply that they were able to get up and run out of there. Joe Dispenza tapped into the same power. So did uh, Dr. Hamill in London quoted the same thing. A man next to him had been paralyzed his whole life. He was in an apartment. Um, He had two sons with him and the apartment caught on fire. And the fear of watching his children burn in front of him, seized his mind where he threw his crutches down, grabbed them, carried them out down the stairs and walked the rest of his life. Normally, how is this, how is this possible? They're using and harnessing the non-physical part of our mind. And that is um, greatly hidden from us. A majority of people today don't even know they have a subconscious and it's so resistant it's so resistant to change that the minute somebody usually they said that they decide to change when they hit the wall, uh, when they hit the wall and they got their back against the wall, they decide, okay, I want to change something. And they start practicing 
mindfulness and Zen meditation and doing things. And all too often, um, it's too little too late. Like they, they give up because it's so hard to go in that direction. Um, sometimes they have great changes. Sometimes they have great success and their life is only better. But if you don't understand the dynamics of the unconscious mind, how it works and how it resists change, um, it's very easy to give up. It's very difficult to do on your own. Um, and it's the first step is just allowing yourself to know that you've got to become comfortable being uncomfortable because your unconscious mind, uh, especially the template that's formed at zero to six, will highly resist anything that doesn't match it. And we see this, uh, I see this um, in the functional medicine world. Uh, it's not just my practice. I would say a majority of them out there, the colleagues that I've talked to see the same thing. 75% of their clients that come in, go through, you know, they come in, they say, hey, I want to get a healing. I have diabetes type two, for example. Even Dr. Bruce Lipton talked about this. Uh, they come in, they have diabetes type two. I want something more natural. I don't want to take insulin every day. And they get them exercising mildly. They have them practicing some stress management. They have them change their diet where they're eating more whole foods and, you know, um, grass-fed meat, good fats for the liver, um, and plenty of vegetables. And their diabetes completely goes away. Blood sugar is perfect. How is that person within six months or a year right back where they started? Why? And that's, that's an 80%. And that doesn't matter if it's diabetes or if it's chronic Lyme or if it's a person that has chronic fatigue or something else. 80% of them haven't changed their identity to match that new self that they want. So somewhere along the line, their unconscious mind starts taking control and they unwillingly sabotage themselves they sabotage the results anyone in the fitness world understands this all too well when they have clients that hey he came in he was doing great and now he's gained all this weight back and they don't get why this same mechanism involves pro athletes so why do you know 80 percent of pro athletes um are bankrupt five years within five years of their very last game why do 80% of people that win the lottery, millions of dollars, are bankrupt within a matter of a couple of years? It's all the same mechanism. If you don't change your identity, you'll convert back. And that's something that has to be well understood. Yeah. It doesn't, if it doesn't match what's there first, it, it will highly resist that, even if, even if you're attempting to do something that's much better higher a um, way better payoff a higher um you know a higher satisfaction in life your unconscious mind doesn't know that so i have many notes written here and as an example new year's resolutions and i think with the last quote or statistic i heard 87 percent of people fail at new year's resolutions and it's the same thing right if people can consciously want this new desire this change in their life but if you're up against a wall, if you're hustle and grinding and you're struggling to make change, that's when you have to realize, oh, it's in my programming. It's in my subconscious mind. I have beliefs. This is not possible or not possible for me. 
or um, habits. I have bad habits. And that's how self-sabotage happens, right? Because we have this disconnect of our conscious desires, but our pro subconscious programming. That's exactly right. Okay, that's exactly so how, that's even, exactly how self-sabotage and things like that work. Even if you become aware and go, oh, so I think money is hard to come by, even though that's something I really want more of. I have this programming to believe it's hard to come by. So how do I flip the script, reprogram the subconscious or whatever your process is so that I can live in ease and abundance and, and everything come easily. Well, just, just your mind creates things. And just remember your, your conscious mind is uh, 0.006%. So if you start thinking that money's hard to come by, um, but you start to think, well, what if, what if I, what if money is abundant? You know, we hear these commands, you know, you mentioned programming from Western medicine. Well, what about the programs that our parents, our grandparents have taught our parents and our parents have taught us about um, money doesn't grow on trees and a penny saved is a penny earned. Um, things like that to go, to get what you want. You have to go out and work really hard. My favorite one that no pain, no gain. Right. What the so, so these are ways of convincing us that um, these are ways of convincing us that uh, you have to work hard and money is very scarce. But the minute you decide you want more and you start thinking, well, in reality, I can have anything I want. Quantum physics says so. It's all there. It matches up. But then you say, well, why am I not seeing it? Why am I not feeling it or experiencing it? It's because your identity from zero to six um, doesn't allow you to interpret that data. It's blocking it. It's not letting you see what's there because it doesn't match what's there. So you have to recognize that and um, you have to recognize slow steps and um, you know, get with someone that really knows what they're doing start to read and understand yourself a little bit more and start getting away from people that, that aren't supporting what that desire might be. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Harvey, I think Steve Harvey said it best. He goes, you want to kill a big dream, tell it to a small-minded person. Mm -hmm. And it's because that dream, that, that desire that comes up in your mind is only there one reason. If you have a dream or desire, it's, that's your unconscious mind. That's the non-physical part of thought telling you you're meant to do this, whatever it might be. So if you start finding ways to make that a reality, look at it every day, use your five senses. And I, I'm not against affirmations, but I'll tell you this, they don't work. Well, it's <laughs> they, not enough, right? It's just the tip. It's the tip because you're, here's the thing. When you look at the way your brain's wired, you look at the you look at the neurology, you look at the mind itself, and you look at the the conscious part of us that is the point the part of us that is the least informed and the last to know anything. By the time you become any aware of any kind of thought in your mind, it's already went through two thirds of your other brain, and it's already went through countless of filters, including your identity, and been skewed, modified altered and massaged to conform what was there between zero to six without you knowing it. 
-hmm. So your mind will lie to you. And you have to recognize your mind will lie to you. It's going to tell you things. It's going to feel things that aren't going to be real. And if you have an image pop up of a desire that you really want to do, and it just, it just fills you with a feeling like you've never had, you need to make sure you start putting that in your environment where you can see it every day and you can feel it yeah. and you can work towards it. And anything that comes up, conflicting people, uh, conflicting thoughts, you need to address those. You need to spend less time with those and, um, you know, start just working towards that every day. And what will happen is if you're relentless and you keep working at it every single day, uh, the universe will basically open its secrets to you to how to, um, how to manifest, how to make that desire a reality. Right. Okay. So, cause I feel like for somebody who may be newer to this work and stuff, I mean, I study this all the time, so I hear what you're saying, but if somebody's newer and they're, they're feeling totally overwhelmed, like, oh my God, well, I could never, that's too much work. How do we excite people and give a practical tool or takeaway or steps? What can they start doing in their daily routine or rituals to become aware of these unconscious patterns and behaviors? and become this unlimited potential that they are? Well, again, like the first step is to realize your mind is a conscious, lying, rational mind. Um, so understand those thoughts that come up aren't, your, aren't you. Another thing to understand is how emotions work. Uh, because it, let's be honest, if, you're gotten a, if you have a state where you're like, ah, oh, I could never do that. There's some kind of emotion going on with that. And this is relatively new research. But anytime you have an emotional shift, uh, without you even being aware of it, it'll happen. Uh, within You don't even know it until you're 15 seconds into it. So let's just say anger for an example, okay? Let's say when you have an emotional shift and feel anger, frustration, your perception of how you view the world instantly changes. And what that means is emotions of all kind are like little life forms. They are like little organisms that form inside of your mind and body. And like any organism, they're going to do everything they can to stay alive, including shift what you pay attention to to where now the data you're looking at in the environment, and we receive 2.3 million bits of data per second. You're only aware of 126. And that 126 is skewed. That's the conscious lying mind. That's 0.006%. So when you have an emotional shift, your mind and body instantly change to do everything to keep that emotion alive. That's why sometimes if you experience anger, mm you're only going to see things that make you more angry mm. and you're only going to have angry thoughts come up. You know, if, if you ever got really upset and all of a sudden you have other thoughts come up that not even relevant to the context right now, but they're to the fuel that emotion and re-trigger that. So first become aware when you have an emotion that isn't helping you in the direction where you want to go, you got to recognize that. Mm. If you can become aware, ah, my mind's lying to me. Okay, a great example is if you've ever had an argument with someone, 
uh, a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that, had an argument, 15 minutes or 20 minutes of just you hash everything out, you're upset, and then finally everything calms down, you tell them you're sorry and they're sorry, but do you ever notice for the next half hour or so, everything they seem to do re-triggers that feeling you had when you were arguing? That's your mind at work lying to you. It's doing everything it can to re-trigger that emotion again, to keep that emotion alive. So it's a negative emotion that's not letting you go in the direction you want to go. Recognize that. Know your mind's lying. Know it's not real. No, he's always left his boots there, but for some reason now I'm really ticked about that. You know, he never cleans the sink up uh, after dinner, but today I'm really ticked about that. That's an example of your mind lying to you, bringing things out of context to keep an emotional alive. Recognize that for the negative ones and know your mind's lying to you and that emotion, you can just feel it shrink down and die off. But on the other side, for someone new, think about, and this is with any emotion. So think about things that you achieved that made you feel really accomplished. Things about times when you think about times when you had a burning desire to achieve something and you put a plan to action and you nailed it. Now you can train your mind and start going there. And what will happen is you can start keeping those emotions alive longer. You can, and it, and it works the same way. You'll start seeing contexts in the environment to keep that powerful, empowered emotion alive. And, when, and just understand that's a great way to kind of start learning how to control your emotions, how your emotions interact with your mind and what you'll see. And if you can walk around feeling accomplished, I don't care if it was some race you did in eighth grade, it's still an emotion. Um, you know, if, if you have difficulty, sit there. It's very, very, I don't think there's a human being on the face of the earth that has not experienced pleasure of some kind of some sort. You can do the same thing with pleasure. Think of a time whenever you felt real pleasurable and just feel that experience come back to you and train yourself to have that going on constantly over and over and over and over. And you'll start to see things in your environment that will trigger that. And over time, a very short time, you'll notice you're walking around in a very pleasurable state. And just by physics alone, this isn't woo-woo. This isn't some, uh, you know, you know, wishful thinking. Just by physics alone, if you're in a vibrational state and you carry an energetic signature of feeling good all the time and pleasure and accomplished, you're going to attract the people in your life. They're going to help you. You're going to attract the circumstances in your life that are going to help you um, accomplish that desire you want. Well, I love the quote, wherever attention goes, energy flows. And that emotion is energy in motion. Right. Yeah. So I have a question. We've touched on so many things today and you have such valuable content. What is a key takeaway you want listeners to get? Uh, I tell you what, the fast, the fastest way to change your emotional state, um, is by changing your physical posture. Uh, some people like this example, you said, well, I could never do that. I, I can't achieve that. Okay. So most people are going to try to change their emotional state through willpower alone. And willpower is a very, very finite resource, depending on two things your quality of sleep 
and your blood sugar. And if you have an emotional experience and uh, you know, that day, you're going to burn through willpower much faster. So trying to use willpower to achieve something is a losing battle. Um, the best way to change your state. And that's what you ultimately have to do. If you're in that example, you mentioned of, oh, I could never do that. That's too much hard work. And you just got to decide, is there something worth going for? Or is there something not worth going for? And if you're going to decide, I'm going to do this, you're going to have some pain. If you decide, no, it's too hard. I'm not going to do this. You're going to have suffering. Suffering's a choice. Pain is temporary. Mm-hmm. Suffering is long-term. And it's because you decided, I'm just going to stay where I'm at. Whenever you decide, I'm going to do this, the best way to do it, the best way to change that state instantly is to really get into a, a power posture. Get into a posture where you're standing like Wonder Woman or Peter Pan, um, hands over the head, the victory stance, okay? Uh, just stand and, and roll your shoulders back, lift your chin up. And if you can do that for two minutes, it's measurable. Your cortisol drops 25%. Your testosterone, which is the achievement hormone, rises about 20% within two minutes. And this is free. It can't be stressed enough. It's very powerful for instantly changing your state when willpower just won't do it. And again, this is just one of those habits. If you can wake up every morning and you have a burning desire to accomplish something and you can stand like Peter Pan with your hands on your hips for as little as two minutes, just try it. Don't believe me. Don't believe me. Just try it. You'll notice that you go through the day with a lot more veracity. You go through the day with a lot more drive pushing you and then again remember your emotions will lie to you they'll cause your mind to lie to you so the the ones that are disempowering starve them by recognizing they're going to make your mind lie trick your mind into only thinking of things where you're accomplished focusing on that and you're going to start drawing in the data the resources the people the circumstances that are going to help you move in the direction where you want to go. I want to share just real quick. Cause I, I know we're way over on time. Um, this literally happened to me today, but I've become so aware and I've been working on this for years and building my mindset muscle, but I was starting to move into those lower vibe emotions, feeling defeated, feeling rejected. This is too hard. That was my, you know, that's what you call the, is that the con that's the conscious mind, right? having these thoughts uh no what's what's going on is is your your conscious mind is the voice in your head um that'll tell you things but when you have feelings like that that's not the the conscious at all that's the unconscious and and likely what happened likely what happened was you experienced something that that gave you a feeling and that feeling kind of lingered around that feeling just kind of you know, like momentum, it starts to linger around. Yeah. We base, we go through life like submarines. We don't even know it. We're constantly pinging out signals. And because of that unconscious mind doesn't use words, what happens is when we have an experience and it matches something deep down within us, our identity, we get a feeling. All of a sudden mm-hmm. a feeling comes up and it's like another link gets added to that chain. So 
so if we're feeling down or we're feeling i can't do it, it it's chances are it's it's something deep deep down that got rang and um your unconscious mind recognized again remember the template the identity is going to seek what matches it and reject what doesn't match it because yeah. then if you find yourself going well i can do this i've got it i i'm i'm i can accomplish anything i want and i am a valuable person and you find yourself saying that but it really doesn't feel real that's again it doesn't match the identity of what's there this isn't this isn't specific to anyone either this is overall our our society one yeah. of the things that i do when with clients sit with me as i test that i say if i said you're worthless if I said, you'll never amount to anything. If I said that no matter what you do, it's never good enough. Money's hard to come by and hard to keep. Do any of those ring like a tuning fork deep inside of you? And they go, yeah, that doesn't feel good. And then if I said, well, what if I said you're a valuable person and money always comes to you abundantly and you can have as much as you want and you spend it wisely and you can accomplish anything you want. They go, that sounds great, but it just really doesn't doesn't have that same ping. Mm. That's, that's how our unconscious mind and conscious mind work is through feelings, you know? So in that instance, just recognize um, that you could start to control those emotions. You can bring up things in the past that make you feel great and feed those and feed those, exaggerate them. Get in that power posture and stand there for a few minutes. If you're having trouble, if you're, if you're, if that ping something hit and you just don't like it and you're feeling down, just change your posture and, and yeah. you'll see within two minutes, you can break that state very easily. Well, I love that and how quick that is. And even to start your day, right? To start your day in that power posture to take on your day. Right. I love that. Do that for a few days and watch what happens. Oh, hell yeah. Count me in. <laughs> All right. So I have a couple of questions for you to wrap up the interview. What is a quote or motto that you live by? quote or a motto that I live by um I mean I've I really it's kind of stumped me I've I've got so many um and I can't even really think of one probably one um is one that you just shared from uh Dr. Joe Dispenza's um energy you know thoughts or energy and behind emotion that's that's you know emotion is um energy and motion right so gosh so many right I, I just can't even I can't even pinpoint one right now hey I'm a walking quote book I get it all right second question what book are you currently reading or highly recommend I am actually reading over um a book that uh I've read once and I'm reading over it again uh um the interesting life of plants um and this just again why it's because it it talks about the quantum field mind over medicine um that's another one i have over there um and but the the non-physical side of our mind right now that's the book i'm currently reading as the interesting life of plants because it's talking about the non-physical part of our mind and and this your cleve baxter is a um again it has to do with thought it has to do with all this stuff we're talking about but how we actually influence the outside world. Um, Cleve Baxter was the most trusted FBI 
um, agent in the 1960s when it came to polygraph. He hooked a plant up to a polygraph machine just on a whim one day and decided to see if he could have the plant register his machine, if he could influence a physiological change in a plant. Mm. And he, he dunked the leaves in hot coffee and nothing happened. So then he thought, well, to really up the stakes, I need to threaten the plant's life. He reached for a lighter. The minute he reached for a lighter, the plant jumped up. The plant felt his thoughts, got terrified, and it registered on the machine. He reproduced this over and over with things that, that show just how entangled we really are. Um, he had a random thing, a random event um, generator, dump brine shrimp into boiling water. And the minute those shrimp hit the water, every plant in his laboratory went nuts. They felt it. Mm. Um, Mythbusters even heard about this and thought, are you serious? This kind of sounds uki to us they ordered the same plant which is called a dracinium they got a lie detector test they hooked it up they looked at the plant they pictured burning the plant the machine jumped again so i'm always studying something that has to do with mind mind outside of our bodies um you know if we have traumatizing thoughts like you're talking about oh i could never get that you literally are creating massive blocks but if you can get to where you can say i can do whatever i want and that feels so home to you to practice, to doing some of the things we talked about. Um, nothing, nothing gets in your way. Are you, are you familiar with like Renee Payock and, and his baby chickens? What intention can do? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, he, he, he did the same experiment, similar experiments with baby chickens and robots. And he realized that, that baby chickens can imprint on robots decent the intention that it's their mother and they'll change the robot's pattern of how it moves yeah. so so what what's what's the difference between a baby chicken and us we have thoughts about our thoughts we have beliefs about our beliefs and that mm -hmm. gets in the way where baby chickens are are much more simple they don't feel guilt you know they don't feel uh, remorse they don't feel like i, I want to do anything i can but I don't know if I'm good enough. Right. Yeah. Humans definitely complicate things. Final question. Final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self? I would, I'll tell you what, the first thing I would do for my younger self is um, I'd say study yourself. Understand if you're going to change things in your life, you're going to have to learn things about you that you don't know. You're going to have to be willing to go in and learn things about yourself that you don't know. Um, really, I would give him, uh, my younger self, all of my work from holographic manipulation therapy, uh, the technique that we trademarked, I'd give him everything about that because that would completely change things. Yes. Well, I love that. And what a great note to end on. Dr. Gabe, thank you so much for joining me. Heather, it was a pleasure. I, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to come on and talk with you today. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. I'd love it if you could leave a review and remember to subscribe and share this episode with your friends. If you haven't yet, connect with me on the social platforms. You can add me on Instagram at heather.hakes and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'll catch you on the next episode.